This is Patrick from the Officer Involved Documentary and Project. For those who are unfamiliar with Officer Involved, it's a documentary in its early to mid-filming stages. In making this documentary, I'm meeting with officers across the United States who have been involved in shootings. To put it bluntly, I'm interviewing police officers who have shot people. During these interviews, we get in-depth on factors that go into officer-involved shootings by speaking with researchers, scientists, in some cases even scholars. But for the most part, the film is about what happens after the smoke clears. What is life like now that you've been involved in a shooting? To me, as an active duty police officer, this is the most interesting and yet least shared part. What happens after you shoot someone? Well, the answer isn't as cut and dry as some may think. We've interviewed tons of officers, and the responses that we get vary, just depending on the officer. It is Sunday, October 19th, 2014. Media is in an uproar. People are protesting. Two months ago, a police officer shot and killed a young man in a suburb of St. Louis. News of the shooting swept across the United States, seemingly overnight. A gas station was torched. Small riots erupted. Things got so out of control at one point that the Missouri National Guard was called in to try and keep peace. If you've been in the United States for more than a week, you know the names Mike Brown and Darren Wilson. The jury is still out on deciding whether to indict the officer, and many of the facts of the case have yet to be released to the public. For those who don't know what an indictment is, an indictment is handed down from a grand jury, basically a group of citizens who have convened in a courtroom to decide if elements of a crime have been met. Basically, arrest or don't arrest the party in question. In this case, it would be based on available evidence to decide whether the officer's actions appear to be criminal in nature. But in the aftermath of this media storm, which is just unpredictable that it would coincide with any of the filming in this documentary, we've been forced to ask the question, who goes into policing? Who stays? A fair question, I think, in light of recent media events and coverage. According to one of my colleagues, who is a police officer, when we spoke about social media. It was 100% negative. Every officer in the entire nation was being looked upon negatively because of one situation. Out of millions of situations every day, nationwide. A few weeks ago, I took a camera, a gigantic set of headphones, and some media releases, and headed to Little Five Points in Atlanta. Little Five Points is something of an alternative culture hub with clothing stores, a pizza place, some interesting bars, and yeah, a lot of free thinkers. The next time you visit Atlanta, put Little Five Points on your list of neighborhoods to visit. The subject, when I spoke with these folks, was around the topic of officer-involved shootings. Michael was my first interviewee. My name is Michael. A fair-skinned, red-haired, 20-ish female sitting with her dog while she awaits a ride. She had possibly the most diplomatic response to any of my questions. I mean, I don't think anything like that should ever happen, but 
like I said, I wasn't there, so you never know. I mean, I just think it would really suck to be someone who really was just doing their job and get in a really f***ed up situation because it's he said, she said, sort of. And when you say somebody that's just doing their job, you mean like the police? Yeah, they're, I mean, I think at the end of the day, like, there's good people and there's bad people, and yes, I've definitely came in, like, I've encountered a ton of really shitty cops, but I've also came in contact with cops that have been like, you know what, I'm going to give you a break, like, go on your way. And there was this guy. I'd like to point out that he's wearing an I Heart Haters t-shirt, which is the reason why I wanted to interview him. And I let him know. I think there's plenty of forms of less lethal force that they could be using, and uh, I think they need to exercise their mind a little bit more rather than just pulling out their gun as the first response. And then there's this man, a fellow photographer. He's walking with his camera. I just saw him taking pictures of the subject a few minutes ago, and I didn't want to interrupt them. So I waited till they were finished. I think he probably had something to do with it, honestly. Or, like, it probably wasn't the guy's fault. Like the officer's fault or the person that got the shot? The person that got shot. Okay. Can you explain that a little bit more for me? Um, I just feel like it's a lot of times more out of ten that it's the officer's fault why the person ends up getting shot and never the actual person. And I feel like they use their gun as like a means of just getting what they want. What is it that they want? I'm going to stop him right there. That's Shannon, by the way. A whole podcast, the whole documentary, could be devoted to exploring what he says next. We'll hear more from him in the future. And when I spoke with Katie and Alan, a young woman and man sitting on a bench in Finley Plaza, they kind of gave me a run for my money. And I feel as if police have guns, why don't we have guns on us? We're all the same type of people. If they have a gun on them, they can pull it out and hold it in their pocket whenever they want. Why can't we? That does not make no sense at all. We are all human beings. We should all have the same right as the police do. Just because they have a job doesn't mean nothing. We, like, we should all wear the same uniform then. We all the police. We should all have a gun. <laughs> what? Police break the law all the time. They do all the time. I like that. We started talking about police and started talking about guns. I love it. All in all, I interviewed about eight people over the course of 90 minutes or so. All of my interviewees were between the ages of 18 and I'd say about 32. Roughly 10 people said no thanks to an interview. But this is just a snapshot of our recordings from that day. Being trigger happy, having bad intent, police officers breaking the law, a shooting being the officer's fault, admittedly some of the same narratives we've seen in popular media just over the last few months. All within the microcosm of Little Five Points in Atlanta. So again, knowing that there's these conceptions and realistically concerns out there about police officers, it begs the question, who goes into policing? Who stays? Recently I posted something to the documentary's Facebook page where I asked officers, why did you go into policing? I've really got two main reasons that, that caused me to want to be a police officer. One of the first police officers who reached out to share his story of why he became an officer was Roy Wood. My name is Roy Wood. Roy's a police officer in Texas, specifically. The Lacey Lakeview Police Department in Lacey Lakeview, Texas. Roy went on to say, When I was when I was young, uh, my parents separated, and my mom was in a relationship. It was very bad. It was abusive. Uh, 
she called the police for help. Uh, they didn't help, and the, they they really didn't care. And as a child, I always it, it always bothered me because I was always taught that you know you went to the police for help, and these ones didn't help. And I just at that point I decided you know I wanted to get involved in police work so that I could change it from the inside. You know I could be that officer that that was there to help people. And then whenever I got older. You know, I wanted to become a cop as well, just to make the area where my family lived and, you know, where I was going to raise a family safer for them. And he shared why he continues to work as an officer. The reason I stay being a police officer is because I love the job. I mean, I love what we do. It's it's fun. It's exciting. It's different every day. And, and at the end of the day, I mean, you and you can go home feeling like you've you've helped somebody. You've made the world a better place for, for other people. I mean, that's just something that you can't get really anywhere else. And then there was Lee. Lee is a detective at a police department in Florida. He said that it was his experiences growing up, becoming the victim of a crime, that ultimately inspired him to become a police officer. I grew up in Nottingham, England. It wasn't the roughest city in the time when I was growing up, but it had quite a fair amount of crime. Me and my family were victims of crime quite a few times on occasion. Um, and when police officers would respond to help you, uh, at the, you know, during those times, I always felt a special feeling when they'd come, you know, and uh, that inspired me. That, that, that was something that I wanted to do even as a young kid. So I think even if I'd have stayed in England, I'd have made it, you know, ended up being a police officer there. And why? Despite everything, does he still do this job? I've stayed working as a police officer because even though, you know, as cops, we go through some times where you love your job and then you don't love it so much. I think it, it fluctuates through that. It's like a pendulum effect almost. But uh, when it comes down to it, I, I've stayed just for the little things. Um, you know, I like to be that person that's going to show up when something goes bump in the night, whether it's uh, an animal in the yard or, or whatever it may be, and, and be the person that creeps around your backyard and then comes to your front door and tells you everything's okay. And then there was Keith Garner of the Clayton, North Carolina Police Department. Keith says that growing up, he really didn't have a lot of interactions with police. Well, I grew up in a rural area, and we had very little exposure to law enforcement, and the only times that we did have exposure to law enforcement um, was when they would come to the school and they would like them. I remember one of the narcotic guys had a drug dog. It was a black lab. And I remember seeing him work that dog, and I was like, man, that's cool. It was always a positive. I never saw him in a bad light. It was always a positive interaction, always. I asked Keith why he stays in this job. You know, you always hear the stories, or you hear the older guys say, you need to make up your mind what you're going to do by the 10-year mark. And I was still, you know, trucking along at the 10-year mark. I was like, I love this job. I love this job, you know, and I just, and I just kept doing it. Um, I never... I never really second-guessed my uh, decision. I'm, I had some hardships through those times, but I never really questioned my decision until my shooting. Between those three officers, there are over 30 years of combined policing experience. But while I was exploring the questions of who goes into policing and who stays, I knew that I'd need to speak with someone who's seen it all someone who's reached the top of their profession. I reached out to a friend in Oregon who put me in touch with the chief there. Chief Don Johnson is the chief of police at Lake Oswego, Oregon. I asked him how long he's been in policing. Let me do the math here real quick. 
uh, what is 79 minus, I gotta go to a calculator, I could ever. I have 35 years in policing. Though he's the current chief of Lake Oswego, a city of about 38,000 just south of Portland, it's not the first time he's been in charge of a police department. I've been a police chief since 2000, and I was in uh, Los Altos, California, was my first run as a police chief, and I was a police chief there for about four years. After that, I went to Sunnyvale, California, a city right next door, Silicon Valley, and was a police chief there for about seven years and was ready to retire and said, I got one more run in me. So I looked at Lake Oswego, Oregon, and was fortunate to get a job up here. So this is my third run as chief. He said the personality type that police departments are looking for when they hire officers is someone with a good heart, someone who's civic-minded, someone who's willing to invest themselves in the job, and someone who's willing to to put their own needs perhaps behind the needs of, of the people that they're serving, at least for the time that they're they're working there. And he's seen changes over the years of who goes into policing. As I got into the to the areas where I was working amongst people early on, I was we're talking probably the the mid eighties or so. There were a, a lot of people coming through there that had um a mentality geared toward um, working the, the the crimes on the street. Crimes was crimes were were increasing, and you had people who were who were more of a of a SWAT focus. Patrick, it was more of a a uh, they were they were it was us versus them in the 80s, and and it tempered over time. And I think that's a good thing that it tempered. And and then as you started moving into the 90s, you had a lot of uh, idealist kids coming into the business and and some people that were a little bit older that had service in mind that had had looking at the at the bright side of life and and it started really launching into the community policing phase of of the work that we do where they they realized there is a need to connect with the community and if you can connect with the community on the front end if you can work on the prevention side of it you save yourself time and energy on the criminality side of it and that launched all the way through the 2000s plus or minus and 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 shortly after that was when we started seeing repetitive violent acts that happen on the street. So I think there's there's more of a need now for the the hyper vigilance in the in the cops that are out and working because I do think it has become more dangerous over time. I do think it, it does uh, require a, a, a fast eye on on situations and a, an immediate analysis and immediate action more so than it than it did. But I still go back to there's a, a tremendous need to connect with the community on the front end, whether that's whether that's with gangsters or whether that's with the criminal element. You've got to connect with that. Otherwise, you're going to be fighting a war that's going to go on for years and years and years. So, so there's there's always uh, a need to look at the at the good before you you take the other stance. But I think you have to be aware. And then I asked him. Who goes into policing? Chief Johnson says that the types of people he sees taking this job now are coming in with a different perspective. They're more grateful to have a job and to be given an opportunity. He says they don't exhibit a sense of entitlement, but they sense a real need to serve. There are people who are chasing their dream, and that's it's a pretty neat thing to see. There's a lot of people who, who are, are not in it 
for the for the SWAT side of things. They're not in it for the for the war side of things. They're in it to to really have an impact on the community that they choose to serve. He said that most police officers are a little bit older and have more life experience than in previous years. And in fact, he's recently hired a 47-year-old police officer. He adds that... As you have people that are a little bit more seasoned, they typically um, don't go through some of the stages that, that the younger ones can go through when they're testing systems, uh, when if they, they think they know it better than you or I do after having been in the business for a little bit of time. The older ones are more likely to... Uh, value the experience of the people around them and rely on that than to, to take off and potentially cause your problems with the decisions that they make. We talked briefly about topics like what's going on in St. Louis, issues with how officers are portrayed in the media, and even internal issues facing officers like pension reform, pay, and benefit changes. And I asked him, considering all this, who stays? I think what happens with the with the really good cops, the people that that are meant to stay in their career, they take that uh, with a grain of salt. They take it as part of doing business, and they they look at it and say, "I see what's happening in this part of the country, in this part of the state, in this part of the county. Uh, I see the violence that's on the rise. I see the issues that we're up against." Um, whether it's trust issues, but I think they take it on as a challenge and say, but, but, but we're not that way. That's, that's not what it is, and this is what I do for a living. And they get really proud of what they do, uh, and rightfully so. They realize the service that they're called to is a really important part of the fabric of any particular community, and they're willing to, to probably get paid less than they could make elsewhere. They're willing to, to put their lives on the line, to risk everything, because they really find value in what they do, and they really um, find satisfaction in what they do. I don't know of any other career where I can walk down the hall, if it's, if it's Lake Oswego Police Department, Los Altos Police Department, or Sunnyvale Public Safety, walk down the hall, and for the most part, the majority of the people, if you say, would you do this again, they'd say, absolutely. And you take that same question out to most other segments of society, and there will at minimum be a hesitation. If not, I should have, I could have done something different. I think, I think the people that are here really find the value and really enjoy what they're doing and, and, and sense that they're giving something back to the community that's really important. And just in case you're wondering, why did Chief Don Johnson go into this job, become a police officer? Well, he told me that he had a brother who was a police officer and an uncle who was a lieutenant, but it was a member of the California Highway Patrol who was Chief Johnson's karate instructor as a kid that made him want to leave his job as a meat cutter and go into policing. I watched this, the California Highway Patrol officer, as he was teaching and some of the values that he had, and it just, it matched with with what I was looking for in life. He talked about how neat it was to to be outdoors, to, to be your own boss, to have your office be your car, to all different kinds of things, and it, there was an attraction there. That was Chief Don Johnson of the Lake Oswego Police Department in Lake Oswego, Oregon. Now, in case you're wondering, there's absolutely no connection to Nash Bridges. I asked, and for the record, 
there are two other recent police chiefs named Don Johnson. One in Illinois, the other in Wisconsin. Both are retired. You've been listening to the Officer Involved podcast. Officer Involved is an independent documentary that is currently in production. At this time, we have no sponsors. If you've liked this podcast, maybe you're interested in hearing more like it, please consider making a tax-deductible donation at our Fractured Atlas donation page. You can get there by going to www.officerinvolved.org. That's officerinvolved.org. Even just one or two dollars can help us out in a tremendous way. All donations go directly toward filming the documentary, of which this podcast is a part. Thank you for listening. I'd like to end this podcast by going back to our three police officers who told us why they went into this job. I also asked each of them, what would you do if you hadn't become a police officer? Here's what they said. Something along the lines of uh, in the military, uh, some kind of federal agent, something like that. I was in the army. I, I was um, on the volunteer fire department and I could have easily gone to a paid department. Probably following my dad's footsteps and maybe uh, travel the world a bit on the, on, you know, working on oil rigs. Thank you again. And please visit our website, officerinvolved.org. Left, 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 right, left, left.